Welcome back to Dr. Me First. I'm so glad you've joined me. Today is a great interview that I had with the amazing Dr. Debbie Bradley. She shares a little bit about her story, where she's at in life, and where she is going. It's one of those conversations that you better have a pen and paper ready because there's a lot of good stuff to extract. Oh, and for the newbies that are here today, I am your hostess with the mostest, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, mother of dragons, queen of burnout, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. And I also have a new mantra that I want to share with you guys. I think it's going to be my 2022-2023 mantra. It's full ass, big sass. And what I mean is living your biggest, most beautiful life full out. No half-assing anymore. You get the full ass. And big sass, meaning you're setting appropriate and healthy boundaries. You're saying what you want and need. You're expressing your opinions in an assertive yet kind way. And you're being who you are 100%. Talking about being who you are, alpha female wolf pup came home from school. She's in first grade now. And such and such boy told her that she needed to be normal, not weird. And so we talked about it. And I said, you know, sis, what's wrong with weird? And she said, mommy, I'm just being myself. And I said, that's exactly what you should be. All right. Enough about what's going on with me. Let's jump into this conversation with Dr. Debbie Bradley. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow colleague, my friend, my coachee, Dr. Debbie Bradley. It's so great to have you with me today. Thank you so much for having me here. You can't see it, but I have my badass t-shirt on today in hot pink. So it's making me feel all fired up and ready to go today. I love it. I love it so much. Those shirts are so fun and they're so comfortable. They're my sleep shirts. I love them. I buy them like a size or two too big and they're my sleep shirts. There you go. You got to be comfy. Life's too short. Exactly. Well, all of you out in podcasting world, I met Debbie at the ACE conference and we had a great time together. I highly recommend it. Props for next year to get on that. But from there, she joined the Burnt Out to Badass group and has just made leaps and bounds. And what she's going to share with you today was, I wouldn't say an epiphany, but I feel like it like crystallized in the group. But before I get too ahead of myself, Dr. Bradley, tell us who you are and the magic you're putting into the world. Yes. So I'm Debbie Bradley. I am a medical oncologist, but I say I'm much more than that. That is just one part of who I am. I am an avid mountain biker. I am an adrenaline junkie. I currently am practicing in clinical medicine. I've been in academics. I've been in private practice, and now I'm somewhere in between. And I have recently made the, made the decision to transition into industry pharma, and I'm super excited about that. And I'm currently writing that next chapter and climbing out of burnout to really empowerment and badass, as you say, has allowed me to get to this point. I love it. I love all of it. So we are going to walk through first your journey. And I remember one of our group coaching calls where I was like, um, you're doing the bargaining step in the grief cycle right now. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> so tell people, tell people the story. Start them out on the journey with you. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of rewind and then go to the middle. And when we talk about bargaining, it was like a light went on. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what is happening. So I about a year ago was going through burnout and I've had a series of things kind of go on over the last year, which I'll get back to. But more recently, I would say about a month and a half, two months ago, I came into clinic and a circumstance occurred and I was like, that's it, I'm done. And it was the craziest thing because I felt like someone had literally hijacked my brain. There was like all of a sudden it was perfectly clear. And I'm like, I am leaving clinical medicine. And it wasn't I'm leaving clinical medicine because I hate clinical medicine. It was just a I'm very much ready for the next chapter. And I was so concerned about this because I had never really seriously considered it. I joked around with colleagues like on bad days and said, hey, you know, what else could we do besides be a doctor? And I think we came up with, I could coach figure skating because I used to do that. And my colleagues said, well, maybe I could be a YMCA counselor. But I'd never seriously allowed myself to think that I was going to do something different than be a clinical medical oncologist. And so I spent about a week like talking to my, you know, physician coach that I work with every week, talking to other coaches, like talking to everyone I could because I was like this is crazy, like I'm leaving clinical medicine. And I was like am I walking towards or am I running away? I wrote a Kevin MD article and really through writing that, I was like, no, I'm going to stay. But I'm going to stay in a very empowered place. I'm going to make the decision if I come in or not or if I stay or go. And then as I was really looking at what can I change to make up for what was missing or what felt like missing, I had this, again, this epiphany or this, what I call like this switch that flipped again. And I was like, no, I'm leaving clinical medicine. And I remember we were talking during that coaching session and you were like, wow, kind of sounds like you were bargaining about staying. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And now that you say it, Absolutely, I've been going through the stages of of loss and and grieving, and I think I spent a significant amount of time in just frank denial. Because when I really look back now, the decision to leave happened a year ago, but I wouldn't allow myself to consider it. And that decision happened right when I was in the midst of burnout, and I walked into a patient room. She was very young. She had a really horrendous cancer, and I knew what that was going to look like. And when I opened that door, I was like, oh my gosh, she could be me. She could be my best friend. And it was at that moment in the midst of burnout where I was charting too much and working too much and had really lost myself and didn't feel like I had any time to do the things that makes me me. I think that's when I made the decision, but I just wouldn't allow myself to accept it or even consider it in, in a serious way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that we're going to go through the cycle of grief because I think so many of us cycle through it without recognizing or having the awareness of it. Because it's like so many people I talk to when I'm like, yeah, you can get a different job. You can leave medicine. You can raise alpaca and sell their fiber if that's what you want to do. They're like, no, 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 I can't do that. 
you know, money, insurance, retirement, kids, you know, then they give me all the reasons. And that's why I've started using the model of grief because unfortunately it fits because it's because we really have to go through the mourning of the loss of the career that we have created thus far and process through it so that then, like you said, you can move through the grief to the next chapter. And you never 100% get over grief. Let's just put it that. I mean, I, I still think about people, things, animals that I've lost. I mean, it's always kind of a part of our story. But if you don't process it and go through it, then it really gets its claws. And because I see people who have made the jump really quick to a different job or jumped out of medicine and not allowed themselves to go through denial. There's definitely anger. There's definitely bargaining. There's depression and acceptance. And they're not all, you know, boom, boom, boom in a line. They can be in any order and you can cycle back through several different times. But if we don't, you know, feel the feels, then you take that junk with you into the future. And I'm just so glad that you are writing, coaching through this, talking about it, because I think it's just so important. I think that's exactly right. And when you talk to your peers and they talk about their experience of burnout, I feel like it's very common for people to say, yeah, I was burnt out. And so then I went and did this. And then I went and did this. And I went and did this, right? And the same thing kind of started happening over and over again. And so 100%, I feel like you really need to change what's wrong. Like you really need to listen inside, you know, follow your gut of what you need. And I feel like we're not very good at truly understanding our worth. And so when we laugh and say we could only do X, Y, or Z, not that we're above any of those positions, we just don't think that there's anything else available to us. And the reality is that we're very qualified and we can do so many different things, but it's actually allowing yourself that ability to actually to actually have that vision, to really allow yourself to think about doing something else. Yeah, because no matter where you go, you always take yourself. And you yes. always take those cemented in ideas of like, I am a... That identity. And, and I think that's really what you've had to confront is like, who am I without the white coat? Who am I without the clinic, you know, that I walk into every single day? And that's a huge existential question that, I mean, come on, that takes time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears. It's something I've never considered. You know, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a doctor. And then once I was in medical school and into residency, I wanted to be an oncologist. And then I got the job I wanted and, you know, did the things so absolutely, thinking about doing something else, thinking about having this desire to do something else, I'm always going to be a medical oncologist. I'm always going to be a physician, and I'm not going to be able to do what I'm doing next without that experience. But as soon as I started thinking about doing something else, when I'm honest with myself, it was back in December when I truly knew what I wanted to do. But as soon as I allowed myself to think about doing something else, that fear came in, right? Like that fear of like, oh my gosh, what if I hate it? Like, what if I'm really bad at it? And that fear, and I think specifically the fear of failure put me right back into, oh no, this is where I am. This is what I meant to be. I have a great job. I'm financially secure. You know, 
why would I want to leave? And I never hated my job. It was just, it was time to do something different. Like I really had this internal desire to do something different and really get back to my roots of clinical research. It's not like I woke up one day and said, I'm going to do this completely different thing that I've never tried in, in my life just to run away. It was just, it, it's time for that next chapter. And when I wouldn't allow myself to go there, and when I spent that time in denial, I started developing significant anxiety. I developed some depression. And now I can look at it and say, like, there was this huge beach ball that I was trying to keep pushed under the water and it just kept popping up. And if I wasn't willing to admit it, it was going to show up somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because now that I have made the decision and I've gone through in writing my next chapter and knowing what the next steps are, that's all gone away. And it's just fascinating. Yeah, it's so amazing. When you really lean into the resistance and the the thing that you're most trying to push down that continues to fight you and come back up. And when you just say, okay, okay. You know, the, the whole Buddhist, just let go, let go type of thing, I think really helps. You know, the one thing as you were talking that popped up into my head on the, the why that this is so hard is because there is a lot of roots that our work and our profession puts into our mind, into our body, and into our soul. And, you know, the change is, is just identity shaking. I mean, it just, it literally shakes your shit up. And what I do is I remind people is then to like pick their heart. Are you going to keep like holding the beach ball under the ocean and get smacked in the face with waves? Or are you going to let go and just like, just see, see what happens? Because the hard doesn't make it wrong. Hard is just a part of life. You know, hard is just going to be there. So you pick your hard. You've got to pick your hard as that. The other thing I thought of as you were talking about, you know, the, the, all the reasons to stay. Do you know the Lady Gaga song, Million Reasons? Yes. So whenever I hear that song, I always think of medicine. Cause like the lyrics are like, give me a million reasons to let you go. You know, you're giving me a million reasons to, uh, quit, quit the show. And, you know, and then like at the end is like, just all I need is one good one to stay. I think that is our bargaining that we do with medicine. Like we have that good patient encounter, or the good outcome. And we're like, see, there it is. But I like, <laughs> it's true. Yes. Because yes. we're looking for that one reason, because yeah. that's the safer, like that's the more comfortable way. Well, it's also kind of like, you know, she's kind of talking from the perspective of a toxic relationship too, as well. And and that's one thing I always encourage people is like, I want you to write a letter to medicine. Tell it how it's hurt you. Tell it how it's changed you. Tell it all your, the feelings. And if you personify it, the relationship I have now with medicine is like a hunk of hunk of burn and love, but it has not been like that at all. It has been toxic. It's been downright abusive in the past. And I think that also ties into kind of what you've done in processing and what we're talking about today. Did resign and, and made that decision. I went through this period of anger of like, I feel like it's because of medicine and the way it is right now. Like, this isn't what I signed up for and the burnout and the moral injury. Like, how could we ever think that this was going to occur? But we're in a really difficult time right now. And 
I distinctly remember coming off like the long holiday weekend after not sleeping for like three nights and having my pager go off continuously for four days. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what have I given of myself to medicine? And now I'm leaving. And then I had to really look back and say, you know, that's okay. I gave it because I loved it. And it's not that I don't love it anymore. I I would say that I definitely don't have the passion that I used to, but in order to say yes to something, a hell yes to something else, you got to say no because you can't do both. And so for me, it's literally just a time to say a hell yes to something else. I love that you just threw some Aaron Sass in my face. Yeah, she's training me. But there was definitely the grief of, oh my gosh, like how am I even in a position? And there was some blame right? Like I fell into that victim role of like, medicine is making me do this. Like the culture is making me do this. And the reality is no, I chose and I had boundaries and I decided like, this is just not what I want to do right now. Like this isn't what's, you know, this isn't my hell yes. But there's for sure that very difficult, I would say I kind of cycled back very quickly from like anger to just being devastated, devastating that I was actually leaving something that I dreamed about. And then I really had to reframe it. And what I say now is I'm retiring. And people will tell me, well, you can't say you're retiring. That's negative. And I'm like, no, it's not. I think you can retire in an amazing way. Like I'm retiring from one part of my career to move on to the next part of my career. And so I feel really good about that. Hell, there are 30-year-olds retiring right now. You know, so like, and that's the other thing. We put these like certain parameters on like what retirement means, which is like getting the gold watch and then going to the golf course. I have no, I want none of that, you know? And and I love that you're reframing that. So like all the feelings you just said, fear, blame, devastation. Did guilt and shame ever pop up for you? Because I know sometimes I talk to people and they're like, oh, but I'm so advantaged. I have a great life and they feel almost shameful about it. Did that happen for you? A little bit, not as much as I would have expected. And I think that's only because I've been doing coaching now for a year. And so although I'm not always great at controlling what come, like what thoughts come to me, I think I've gotten much better through coaching of realizing like, oh, brain, thanks for offering that up. Like, no, that's not true. You know, but thank you so much. I would say that where the guilt or the shame came in was when I was saying to myself, like, oh, here I am, part of the great resignation, you know, like, who are going to take care of these patients? Like, who are going to take care of my patients? You know, the patients that have put their trust in me, the patients who've had a relationship with me, I definitely still have some guilt or shame in, in that regard because I still feel that I owe it to them to continue walking with them on the journey. And I think it's, unfair. Like that's what the thought process is. That it's unfair to them that I'm leaving. And then I have to remember that I have to do me, but that's where I'm still seeing it. Not so much the, the shame of like, I'm going to the dark side or, you know, I'm not doing what I was trained to do. I've been Mm -hmm. really good with that, but for sure the leaving more work for my colleagues, who's going to take my patient. Yeah. And I think I think that's been culturally conditioned in us because I think about this. I've lost two or three insurance agents now. You know what I mean? They like move on and do something else. Uh, The lady at the bank who usually helps me, shit, they have cycled through a bunch of tellers, you know, type of things. 
these are important jobs, but yet people get to move on. And why we put this like hefty amount of duty, responsibility, you know, the the code that we all had to do at the white coding ceremony, it is noble. It is. But at some point, you have to remember you're not a savior. And I feel like that's what I was, I continue to break away from my cultural conditioning is like, and I just, my thought process is a job well done is making people 10% better, you know? And if that's over two months, if that's over two years, over two decades, like that is what I can do and show up and be the best Dr. Wiseman for people. But at the end of the day, like I can't save anyone and I shouldn't be trying to because that's pathologic. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think the other quality that comes into this is I feel like we're cultured to become really good people pleasers through our training. And I have been able to reflect back on it lately. And, you know, you want to get the good grades, you want to be the best, you want to go to med school. But then think about like when you were in med school and you did your first rotation. I mean, how many people were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go work with you know, Dr. Green, like what does Dr. Green want us to do? And what does he expect? And like, what makes him happy and what makes him not happy? And you do that for a month and then you move on to the next rotation. And it's like, oh my goodness, like this attending, like what's going to make me a good, you know, med student for her. And we do that. Yeah. So many you become times. a really good chameleon and like contort artist to fit into whatever hole is the best for that person. Yes. And even too, like, if you don't deal with the hard emotions of conflict and difficult conversations, I've seen doctors who do that with patients day in and day out. And of course, they're exhausted. Yes. And so we're so good at people pleasing now that, again, like to me, part of this whole, you know, moving on is when that guilt comes up, it's like, oh, my patients are going to be upset that I'm leaving. Oh, my staff is going to be upset. So I'm falling kind of back into that people pleasing. And I think that's what's creating my feelings of guilt. And so I have to keep reframing that as like, why I'm doing this, and they're going to be okay. And my patients are going to be taken good care of. And there's many other people in this system. And who knows, maybe they're going to get better care. You know, Mm -hmm. who knows? Well, and I think it's also maturing your boundaries to say like, yes, they're going to be upset. Still doesn't make it wrong. They get to be adults and handle their feelings, just like the work I've been doing to handle my feelings. And because it's so easy to like take that on and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm leaving practice and, you know, and then like overdoing, you know, trying to be like, and we'll get you in with doctor such and such and da 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 da. And sometimes you just have to, not in a like pissy way, but just in a respectful and strong way say like, this is what's happening. And it really is actually setting a boundary to say like, no, they won't be able to call me on my cell phone. And I really am leaving and letting them then sit and go through the grief cycle because they will grieve. If it's a relationship that was important to you, we are human. We will go through it. And like you said, your organization, it's not like they don't have other medical oncologists, I would assume that they can figure it out. And I just always remind myself, too, that people are really resourceful, you know, and and we do a disservice to people when we don't allow them to use their own full capacity as well. Yeah, because they may figure out a better solution, though I could have told them. Yes, absolutely. 
So talk to me a little bit, and I know we've kind of been talking about this, but you said the that retirement, you're talking about retirement, and that's what you've been saying and for the next chapter writing. What is it, as you're nearing your end date, what does it feel like? What are, what are the thoughts you're having? What does it mean for you to leave clinical medicine now? I feel really good. And I have to say that I feel really proud of myself. And I feel like it's taken this year of really working on myself and becoming more mature and really able to show up authentically for me to take this next step and to feel really good about it. And so, you know, some things that I've had to do, like I had to drop the people pleasing. I'm not sure there's too many people that would have said, oh, Dr. Bradley, I think it would be amazing if you just left clinical medicine and, you know, did X, Y, or Z. I had to trust myself that I knew where I needed to go and that I was my guide and that I literally was in charge of what the future looks like and that it was on my own terms. I think one of the biggest is I had to learn to walk with fear and I've had to reframe what fear looks like. In medicine, fear is bad outcome, you know, death. Fear is not looked at as growth. I think you've said it, right? Fail fast, right? Fail fast. Fail fast and fail forward. And fail forward. Because it really is a way to grow and improve. And I was talking with one of my colleagues who said to me, like, Debbie, you can't fail. You're going to do this and you're either going to be successful and love it or you're not going to be good at it or you're not going to like it. And the reality is there's so many other things you can do. You can come back to clinical medicine. Like you're not. Yeah, the next best step. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to keep telling myself that probably like a hundred times a day for a week of like, okay, I can't fail. I can't fail. And through that, I was just able to trust myself and really show up authentically I like to say I'm now the CEO of my life and I'm making decisions because I want to make them, not because other people say I should or that I could. And so it's been so important to drop that people pleasing and really just be comfortable with who I am. And I feel amazing. I'm so excited about the future because I really get to write that next chapter in the way that I want it. And I feel like I'm coming in with boundaries and a maturity that I wish I would have had 20 years ago when I graduated from med school. Like this is the kind of stuff that I love teaching fellows and younger physicians because I feel like it's probably some of the most valuable skills that I've learned and I just learned them. But hey, you know, rather learn them late than never. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's where I have to like put on the self-compassion of like, she didn't know. She didn't know 15 years ago all this now, and she was just doing the best that she can so that you don't get into that like ruminating cycle and, and, and that sort of thing. Because honestly, you were just trying to make the next best decisions back then as well. You just didn't have all the information. You didn't have all the, the data. So of course, your trial run didn't go so well. And I mean, that's what we're doing. We're doing experimental studies and trials on ourselves day in and day out. And we're like, okay, if we try that, then what happens? And and so just to remind ourselves of that. And the other thing is too, like worst case scenario for you, Debbie, is you get into pharma, you hate it, you're not good at it, they fire you. And you know, like you go back to clinical medicine because hello, there's a doctor shortage right now. 
And you, you know, you do that, cruise that a while, do it as a bridge job until you, you find your next thing. But I think the first step is always the hardest. It's like the putting your shoes on to go out for a run. Like if you can just get your shoes on, you usually can get the momentum to get out there in some form or fashion. And I think that's, that's kind of what you've been talking about. So tell us a little bit more. Sounds like you've started writing the next chapter. Is it from a very empowered place? What do you think it's going to look like? Yes, I'm definitely writing the next chapter. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. My whole life I've spent saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it by this date and it's going to look like this and then I'm going to win this award or have this title. And so I'm very purposely letting this change kind of grow organically. And so I am, you know, I've accepted a new job in industry pharma and I'm super excited about getting onto that huge learning curve and doing something just a little bit different. I'm still going to very much be working in the medical oncology sector. So I'm still a medical oncologist working with those patients. I've also found physician coaching to be so valuable to me that I've become a certified physician coach and I've launched that business and finally got over my limiting beliefs of a website and launched that this weekend. So I'm really excited about just, again, doing things like this, podcasts. I've submitted a couple of Kevin MD articles of really just doing what feels right when it feels right. And one of the things that you've also taught me is just the importance of white space. And, you know, right now I'm still in the hustle bustle of clinical medicine and we've just switched over to Epic Go Live and anyone who's been through that knows what that looks like. So I feel that as I have some time just to kind of settle into new things and I have that white space, like there's going to be more creativity and I'm just going to try it. And if I fail, great, I'll reevaluate and do something else. But I'm really doing like what what just feels good to me. Like I'm just showing up as the authentic Debbie. And the reality is some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. And it just is because that's who I am. And like I, no one's, you know, I don't expect everyone to like me. And I think I'm finally in a spot now where I can just accept that. Whereas before it was like, oh my goodness, one bad patient review and you think your world's ending. And really it's like, is this a big deal? We say that a lot at my house. Is this a big deal that we need to like throw a fit and kick our brother and punch our sister in the head? Like, it really is no big deal. It's no big deal about the patient complaints. It's no big deal about the zillion messages in Epic. Like, it's not a big deal. And if we can like get our crazy brains to wrap around like, what are the big deals in our life? And the other stuff, what was the book like way back? Don't sweat the small stuff. Yes. Like we need a don't sweat the small stuff 2022 edition at this point. Oh my goodness. So. We do. And I think that the other part of my growth has been the realization that I have to do the things that make me happy. I have to do things that recharge my battery or I'm just not going to be able to show up being the person that I want to be. And especially in 2022, when there's just so many things that are difficult, I feel that it is just even more important to really take good care of ourselves and really do the yeah. things that bring us joy. You know, we have one life, right? Like find your passion, live your passion. Absolutely. Well, I didn't tell you about this before we start, but I would love to hear your very truthful experience in the badass group. How was it for you? Badass. I know group. I'm totally putting you on this. You are putting totally me putting on, putting the you on the spot here. I feel a little pressure. <laughs> uh, the great news is I don't have anything negative to say. So I feel like I can just be truthful. So 
Well, even if you did, that'd be great. Feedback I know. For me. And remember, and the great thing, fail forward. <laughs> the great thing is about with you, Aaron, is I could tell you all the things that I hated, which I don't have any. And you'd be like, great. You know, I welcome it. The badass group was amazing. And it was this perfect time because when I signed up for the badass group, like I had no idea I was going to be resigning from my job. And it just kind of happened during this. Like, I feel like sometimes things just come up in your life the way they're supposed to, and you take opportunities and it just helps reinforce and, and give me the confidence to just keep pushing in my pathway. So I think it was amazing. You know, the badass group, it's a, it's a group of physicians. We are, you know, really just share what's going on in our life and, and get support from others. And in this journey over the last year, I feel like one aspect that's been so healing to me is shared experience because we think we're the only ones that feel like we're quote broken or we don't have it all together. And we're like, oh, my colleagues show up every day and like they've got it together. And then you realize like, no, so many people are struggling. I'm going to say most people are struggling, but we're really good at putting that mask on and showing up and being like, hey, I'm great. When the reality is we're not great. And so I think doing- Yeah, it's like sharing our sharing our experiences, sharing our data, yeah, like yeah. open access data, because so many people around us are falsifying their shit. Yes. And so when you hear that, you're like, oh, I'm not crazy. Well, I might be still crazy, but no, I'm not crazy. I'm just like everyone else. And, and I, I feel like that really helps just to realize you're not alone and to get encouragement through people who have gone through something similar or not. And to just really be able to, again, come to the table, share whatever's on your mind, know there's a supportive group, know that there's no judgment, know that realistically someone's had some sort of experience and that they can share their wisdom. And if none of us have the answer, we're, we're, you just support each other. So it's amazing. Yeah. And the other thing I'm going to tell on you, you did not do any of the curriculum but it still was a good group, right? It was. And, you know, this is like, <laughs> I'm glad you called me out on it because I'm going to be really proud of it because I'm usually that person that is like, oh, I got the modules today, so I'm going to do all of them. And the reality is that I was really busy at work and I was interviewing for other jobs and I needed some white space to make the decision. And so I gave myself permission to just not do the curriculum and it's still there waiting for me. And the great news is I'm now a lifetime member of the Badass Group. Yeah. And so I get to you, do it again and I get to do the curriculum the next time. So yes, even not doing the curriculum, I did benefit. And I think that also goes to show you that Erin might call you out, but she knows she can call me out. But it doesn't matter. Like you just show up, right? You don't have time to do your homework. It's not like medical school. You just no. show up and you're still welcomed. And you're still going to get value. And you're going to walk away probably with more of what you need in that moment, if you're open and honest about it and, and accepting it, I think that's part of it is like, we get on to ourselves. Like I should have done my curriculum. I should have logged into the module. I should have posted in the Slack group. And that's when I remind you like, Hey, you're shooting all over yourself. Like, no, you're here. Let's, let's like take it from where it's at. So do you want to give a shout out to your other coaches who've helped you through the process? Cause I think they're amazing as well. Yeah. I, there's so many. So, you know, Stephanie Byerly, uh, the physician healer is my primary uh, coach, and I've been working with her now for a year, and um, she has been so amazing. She's fab. She's, She's so fab. Good. 
And then I've also met this other amazing group of women. You know, a lot of the coaches are my friends. You know, other I've kind of worked with here and there. I mean, obviously, I consider you my coach, right? Because you've shared a lot of wonderful things to me. Dina George has really helped me on like, how do you even put a website together? Like, what do you write? You know, Sasha Shilcut. I love her. She has a new book coming out on boundaries. I highly recommend everyone buy it. But I have a lot of Sasha in my mind where she just, you know, talks about these little messages and things. And when I get an email, I'll be like, oh, delete. Uh, and then too numerous to count friends that I've met who are also coaches. And so that's the great thing about being in this coaching community is like all your friends are coaches too. And the reality is, is I get things from everybody and I'm going to continue, you know, to just, I think, benefit so much from, you know, having coaches in my life. And I strongly feel that every physician should have a coach, maybe a coach and a therapist, but definitely, I, I definitely feel like that's just so important right now. So get your board of directors. And I think that might've come from you as well, right? So even mm -hmm. though I didn't do my curriculum, I did listen. You did listen, absolutely. And you absorbed them. Did you work with industry coach MD? I actually did. Yes. Narissa. I did because I absolutely had no idea. I'm like, okay, I know I need to do this thing called a resume and I know I need to probably apply. So I didn't know that physicians had resumes. We just have these things called CVs. And so I actually bought a package and she taught me how to, you know, convert my CV to a resume. And probably one of the most useful sessions I had was an hour of literally just going through my CV and really recognizing like, hey, I did these things and I have these skills. Because to me, like I would just add more lines to my CV and I'm like, oh, whatever, it doesn't mean much. So that was amazing. And the other thing I would say is I kind of figured out LinkedIn and you learn on LinkedIn and how you can network on LinkedIn. So I think networking is huge. Like really just get to know people and network with people. And I feel like I have to be thankful for the pandemic for that because a lot of these amazing people that I've met have been on Zoom. And I don't know if without the pandemic that would have necessarily happened. But since we were forced to Zoom, I'm going to have to give the pandemic credit for really changing that and allowing us to meet these great people. And now we're going back to meetings and things in person and we can like meet our best friends in person. And it's just so amazing. I'm glad you mentioned about Nerissa too, because just in the Slack group this past week, one of the, somebody posted, you know, that they were, uh, I think it was emergency medicine doctor and, you know, they were done and want to transition, but didn't have any idea to start. And Narissa is just such a great resource. She takes that fear out of like, you're joining the dark side because it's really not the dark side. And then people always say, well, you have to have experience. And she's like, no, you don't. Let me, let me show you. Come young Padawan come over here. Yes. And so if anybody's thinking about industry, go go check her out because she herself did a transition, big transition several years ago. And now she's taking all of that knowledge and helping other people because we need good people in industry. We really do if we want to advance the field of medicine. And and also, I think it's great when, when you can marry so many of your skills together and help people. So, well, friend, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you even more for being a participant in the Burnt Out to Badass group. When you signed up, I was like, oh, I just met her in Texas. I'm so glad I get to know her more. So 
I just so appreciate you. I so appreciate you being open and honest about your story. And I just can't wait to see how this chapter unfolds. I'm super excited and, you know, stay posted. And for all of you out there, check out the ACE conference. I don't know when it's going to be yet next year, but it was phenomenal. And next ACE conference, you know, I'm going to put myself out there and be like, I want to give a talk like Aaron did because Aaron did the (laughs) most amazing talk. And I'm like, I'm going to get there. Well, I appreciate that. It was a good talk. I'm not going to lie. I practiced hard. That was like my my TED talk for the year. I smashed it. She did. Like she smashed it. It was amazing. Standing ovation. I was like, I want to do that. There were tears. There were laughs. It was great. Okay. Well, friend, I will talk to you soon. And remember, of course, as always, the badass in me honors the badass in you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I've heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma. They dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass Slack group. That's right, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some Slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You'll get total validation on what's going on with you. There's a pool of resources. Community is active and rating to welcome you in. We are all helpers who have needs. And sometimes we need to have a community that can surround us, protect us, give us a hug, and lift us up. And that's what the badass Slack community is. So come join me today. Link is in the show notes. All right. You ready to learn to walk with fear? To go through those stages of grief? Were you able, when we were talking about, to relate to that, about cycling through all those different stages and feeling all those feelings of, like, depression, acceptance, fear, blame, guilt, devastation, exhilaration? I mean, it's so nice now to have a full spectrum of emotion. But when I was extremely burned out, I was numb, except for big emotions, which were like anger. I felt like I was like angry and pissed off all the time. And so if you want to talk more about this, I am always open. Right now, I've currently got one one one-on-one coaching spot open. So contact me if one-on-one coaching sounds like something that would help you process through this and, and move you on in your journey. The other thing is to remember that we do have the Badass Group. It goes once a year. So we'll kick it off in 2023, probably like mid to late spring is when I did it this last time. So probably around that time. So it's going to be a minute. So in the meantime, jump into the free Aaron Wiseman Slack Group. We talked a little bit about it in our conversation today. And it's just a good way to get introduced, to ask questions, maybe just like be a lurker and go back and read some of the different threads and stuff, because you really aren't alone in this. Absolutely. 
100% not. And it's just a great place for sharing. Like I said in the podcast, sharing our data, not falsifying it, our experiential studies that we're all doing on ourselves on what works and didn't work and tweaking it. And just remember, friend, there really is no failing. There's winning and learning. And I think so many times we've been taught that model, that binary model of it's like this or that, but there is a lot of gray. Even if things don't work out, I imagine some things did. And I just remind you to to look for that. Look for the gray in your life. I'm here for you. If you need anything, as always, reach out to me. And please remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya.